0: In 1927, Georges Simnon, the author of the cult detective series about Inspector Maigret, accepted a challenge from a French newspaper to write a whole book in the span of 72 hours. He would do it suspended in a glass cage outside the Moulin Rouge nightclub, and people could come by and give him suggestions. Eventually, the stunt never took place, but it brought such publicity that the author dominated the news in the entire Europe for over a week, which, needless to say, significantly helped the sales of his books. Today, the biggest book markets in the world publish tens of thousands of new titles every year. Is simply being a good writer enough anymore, or do authors need a full set of marketing skills and endless creative innovation to stand out? Is experimenting in literature a path to discovery and enlightenment, or a way to satisfy an author's craving for attention? And does the book nowadays have to be something more than just a book? Am from Helsinki Literary Agency, and we're back with season two of the Literature from Finland podcast that author Hari Salmeniemi begins with discussing literary stunts, experiments, and attention-seeking. Welcome, Harry. It's uh, very, very nice to have you here in our studio. I'm very happy to start the season with you. Um, I dare to say that not only as a writer, but also as a public culture person, you enjoy stunts and using any opportunity for playfulness. A couple of years ago, you had a uh, feud, so-called, with the Finnish author Jako Uli which started as a joke in one of the cultural magazines and continued throughout several issues, with both of you eventually really going at each other and throwing accusations of professional jealousy and of mocking the sacred Finnish icons. Uh, Your new uh, short story collection, Customer Coral, begins with a mock introduction from your editor, who presents you as a life coaching guru who will pass on enlightenment to his disciples. Where do you think lies the power of literary stunts? Why do you personally love them so much?
1: Well, I I think it's more uh, to do with the playfulness. I think with Jaakko, it was a kind of very modest thing we did it was in a really small cultural magazine uh, this uh, fake fight of ours it just sort of people got interested in that we just wanted to make a parody of two uh, really without any sense of humor male (laughs) authors sort of criticizing each other eternally because we both have this uh, have had this experience when we were younger and we were um, for example uh, following Parnaso the literature magazine in Finland and on occasion there were these super long (laughs) fights between one critic and an author or maybe two authors and it would just go on and on and I we both thought yeah that's really uninteresting form so (laughs) let's try to let's try to put a little bit of twist in that so then we 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 created this like seven letters long fight which would First, be really professional, but then go into personal and then into some uh, psychotic, maybe. Yeah. So it got uh, so that people would probably in the end realize that they were not really serious from the beginning.
0: Exactly. Well, this is, I'm sorry to interrupt, but this is exactly what I wanted to ask. Do you think that uh, the audience understands immediately when a stunt, especially a literary stunt, is a stunt? Or is it kind of part of a stunt that the audience wouldn't understand that this is a joke and this is just, yeah. Uh, I think
1: we were both actually quite shocked how even very smart people didn't catch it in the beginning. <laughs> because people kind of would know that the etiquette is that, for example, we have the same publisher, we have the same editor. Yeah. So in a way, Jakob wouldn't be a- shouldn't be able to write a critique of yeah. my book. In the first place. Also, the critique was like, it was kind of, it made sense, but also he accused me of being this like really nasty communist, (laughs) you know, kind of, there were these like small tweaks that you would think not a very sensible author is using about another author, but still people, obviously people read very fast. They don't think that much about it. It was just one of the things in the magazine. so. I think it was maybe after the fourth letter only when people I I started getting those emails to to check like, oh it's a joke, right? Is it? <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but it was really like way too long. Yeah. Uh so yeah, that was shocking. And it, it it's hard to plan those things and also we thought no one will no one will care. Just like no one cared back in the nineties when someone like another almost important author was criticizing someone about his critiques of Exactly. Yeah, you know. So, um so yeah, we were kind of surprised how um it in the end it got quite uh, quite a lot of attention. Yeah. But that yeah. was not planned and it was not like any kind of marketing. It was just really um a modest joke that yeah. we we created together when we yeah. ha- were, were having coffee.
0: To, yeah, to have fun. Yeah, yeah, it stuck with me, and I really remember that. for For some reason, I, I thought that it was just a great, yeah, a great way to kind of shake up things a little bit. Um, Customer Coral, your new short story collection includes. Plenty of really unexpected and surprising short stories. A victim's reflection on their murder and its perpetrator. uh, Threatening job applications for a mayor position from someone called Salmaniemi, as you are. Uh, It includes operating procedures of a firm that exercises human trafficking as well as a short story where the paintings of Italian masters are analyzed uh, from the perspective of an entrepreneur who despises the unemployed. Mm, the stories are funny, as, as uh, also your previous collections, and I, I always love that sort of funny and absurd point of view, uh, to the point where you really laugh out loud, but they also kind of constantly border on the tragic not only because the narrators are kind of sad, <laughs> sad people and not, not well, uh, but because they tell something about our way of being. So, what do your stories tell about our current state of mind and of culture?
1: Oh, wow. Uh, of course, uh, in all my short story collections, the, the stories are quite varied. So, um, in the Client Coral, for example, um, I think one of the main, main stories is the, is the name story, Client Coral where um we're a marketing person who wants to market or doesn't want to market, but it is his job to market uh, printers and all this office crap that is everywhere. <laughs> um, he is totally demotivated by his work, and that's why he wants to get sacked. But he cannot get sacked because he creates so aggressive and weird campaigns yeah. that his bosses just applaud him constantly. And he wants to go to the point of total ridicule, o- of thinking as uh, the clients as coral and corals <laughs> as clients and the whole nature as a client. But the thing is just that everyone gets more and more um excited about his ideas. Yeah. So so I think in that there is something really funny in that, but also something really doomed, I think. Uh for example with the classical paintings that I love so much, you know, Caravaggio, Raffaello, mm-hmm. um such painters that I uh, just adore. Um Somehow I got the idea when I was in Rome and I was uh, revisiting many churches and museums where where I saw those paintings, and I thought, what would be the the stupidest way to um, interpret these <laughs> these masterpieces, yeah. and and then seeing it through the glance of a really kind of very very disciplined business oriented person, yeah. telling that this and this painting. Where you actually see St. Peter's and an angel is actually about unemployed and you know a businessman who tr- tries to help or a business that tries to help. I really I, I thought there are so many stupid stories like this, you know about unmotivated poor people or you know super motivated high achievers. And I thought uh, that's a glance. like let's let's see how this sacred world let's see how we can actually describe it in another way. Uh, it took quite a while to actually um, to, to learn to to create this kind of language that is obviously not really my th- kind of thinking, but but in the end it was really much fun also to be in the yeah. museums and try to see the paintings uh, in as banal way as I can. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and I think that's uh, definitely one of the most. Uh, one of the, my my favorite uh, short stories in the collection, I think, most sort of succeeded in exactly kind of mocking that uh, that kind of language and way of speaking which which also is something that is important in your stories and you know exactly not only that you invent these new words or new concepts like customer coral or or avocado sex as in one of the uh, short stories but you have this um or you kind of point out a particular way of speaking that I think is kind of very present in our everyday life uh, nowadays everywhere in every aspect so can you elaborate a little bit on what kind of language it is and what yeah how does it affect us uh,
1: y- yeah it's obvious that in quite many circumstances you have to fake very motivated very much caring about not only about your own uh, personal well-being but also about state of nation about the national economics and all this like, you know, that you kind of want to prove or like you should be proving yourself all the time um, that you are actually very useful. Yeah. It's it's very hard to say who is actually telling you to prove yourself. But the constant feeling is that you have to prove yourself. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think especially in the cultural sector where th- there is so much uh, going on, like always cutting the funds, always this same despair. despair. So I, I think that's a big part of of the general atmosphere and actually when you asked about the those frightening or weird job applications of a mayor I I really like I have despaired so often my own like finances economics (laughs) my own personal life my job status yeah so it wasn't actually so hard to understand that those villages let's say that are like in eastern Finland, lots of young people are moving out. They are in the same kind of weird despair yeah. that I can be in some sense. So I thought, let's make this match. So imaginary job applications from a failed author <laughs> for a really sad village. Yeah. Uh, like, yeah. <laughs> I know you are desperate, but so am I. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> let's meet somewhere beautifully. So so there is there was something I, I thought that there was also something really personal in that. Yeah. Um Yeah. So uh, actually, I think the personal connection, like culturally, it's easy to talk about, you know, how we are so capitalist bound or how we can see the, 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 the things only through the glance of economics. But actually, I think, for example, the paintings, the the series of or, or the story, it works because I actually know the paintings by heart, you know. Yeah. Kind of like I've seen them so often, you know. They are the paintings that you you can usually go t- to Rome and see in a small museum or in a church and almost for free or for free. So I have been there because I lived in Rome. So I've seen those paintings so often that it was possible for me to write something that is not only a critique about uh, our contemporary culture, but can be also actually kind of meaningful, even if it's totally weird way to see the painting. <sighs>
0: Yeah, yeah. And this is, well, this nicely brings us to the question that I've, you know, numerous times uh, been pondering and, and discussing with my friends and especially authors. Um, um, yeah, the question of profitable culture, um, I think, you know, we here in Finland, uh, uh Recently, we had this very heated debate when the government announced that they might be um, uh, having huge cuts, uh, budgetary cuts that would uh, highly mainly affect the cultural field. Um, I don't think that, at least I personally don't know uh, any country in the world that whose culture wouldn't uh, mainly depend on the government, on the subsidies, on various funds. Uh, well, European countries, of course, European Union funds. And more often than not, when there, is, there are cuts about to happen, the culture is the first field that is going to suffer. So can culture be profitable? And does the fact, does, does the quality of being profitable somehow diminishes automatically the value, the moral value, value, the artistic value. Are you somehow less of an artist if you start making money?
1: No, I don't. I don't think in that way. And I, I think there have always been numerous really, really good authors and painters who have made a lot of, lot of money. I guess it's more about how how um, how you talk about the world and how uh, how you are actually willing to also accept that not everyone is really successful. You know, uh, usually when you cut fundings, it's not from the really successful people because they will always, you know, yeah. uh, succeed and go on. But it's usually the on the grassroots level that you actually feel the pain on the cultural field. About the basic, wh- what uh, what I have been like trying to do in my own work to sort of cope with the situation, so to say, is to not only work in the, literature field, but also like with film field. And, you know, now from here, I will go to national opera to see an opera that I wrote the, the libretto and work on a different field. But then there, that creates even bigger despair. <laughs> because then you see that all those fields are in a similar position, you know, they need those fundings. They might be cut that actually y- you can kind of be quite successful artists, or writer and work on different fields, but at the same time, still you are not sort of profitable.
0: Yeah, yeah. I,
1: you are just taking money from the same taxpayers' money, let's <coughs> say, but from the film industry. Yeah, and little bit from here and little bit from there. Uh, it's it's a really interesting situation because uh, I think also we uh, like artists and. Um, Workers of the cultural sector, we we have this feeling that the cultural is always the first where you take the money away, but I don't actually agree. You know, if you talk with the um, basic, let's say, fireman, for example, yeah, and then you see how the fire stations have been diminished, you know, yeah. then you understand. Okay, their sector actually they it went way more straightforwardly. They saved way more money than we did. Yeah. Uh, so actually, I I think somehow. There is this strange feeling on almost every sector that we are the ones that are kicked <laughs> in the head, <laughs> yeah. And actually, almost ev- almost everywhere, you just try to squeeze and save as much, as as much money as you can, yeah. yeah. And then those organizations that are actually really rich or big companies that are actually doing really well, off they just seem exceptions,
0: yeah, yeah.
1: You know. Very, very rarely I can get a job offer, you know, from some kind of organization that is rich. And then they offer me a proper salary that they think I should yeah, maybe be earning all the time. And I'm like... Wow! <laughs> yeah. Wow! It's yeah. a big dollar.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but this is uh, this is why I'm asking about this. Um, you know, the the diminishing of the kind of artistic level once the culture starts becoming prof- profitable, because I think that it can be. But I also think, at least from where I'm from, which is Lithuania, and I've been in sort of cultural fields, and especially among the writers, and I think there is a sort of, and I think the same you can see in Finland as well, the sort of a f- vicious circle where you, like we always complain that we, you know, we don't get paid enough, we can't, you know, nobody supports culture, nobody, nobody does anything for culture and we're, you know, this c- constant sort of victim syndrome. But then once there is someone who is all of a sudden is a best-selling author or sort of, I don't know, somehow makes money from other Fields or other work that they do, they kind of you know shut out of the this small circle of poor bohemians who don't have money because they're immediately sort of bourgeois and they don't yeah they don't belong to our poor artist kind of I don't know circle which is I think it's interesting.
1: <laughs> yeah, it is interesting, and uh, I I think because I, I I'm originally a poet. Uh, I think first. Seven eight years of my career I only published poetry, so I know what it what it means <laughs> to be a poor poet and also <laughs> bohemian in many ways, <laughs> but of course, you can drop off from the bohemian nice cafe table in so many ways you know it it's enough to get kids, you know yeah. then yeah. you suddenly no one sees you ever um that's uh, that's my um <laughs> state Personally of experience. mind yeah <laughs> at, at the moment yeah but uh but yeah. I, it is. It's interesting. Maybe it's also a problem of a little bit smaller nations. Yeah. Maybe it's more <clears throat> accepted in. I. I hope and uh, I. I could imagine that it's a little bit like people in Paris understand a little more. Maybe that maybe some artists can even make money. Um, well, obviously I'm not rich myself, but I. I don't think I've seen so much of this, going on. I think more. More it seems that the that usually people, when they start doing very opportunist things, then they say, yeah, you know, I needed money, I have all the bills to pay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, And then you kind of think, usually those people who are willing to sell their soul, they could actually also just live quite nicely with their principles, hold together. Yeah. So I I get really suspicious when people say, I was young and I needed money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> because when I was young, I didn't have any money and I still don't have much. But my life is, is okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. You mentioned so many different fields where you have, you know, your fingers. And, and one of them is poetry, which is where you started. And you're kind of this lauded poetry guru in Finland. Uh, to me, by the way, I have a confession to make. Also, your poetry at, at the point made a huge um, impact as a reader, as, as a as a poetry reader, basically, because, uh, again, from where I'm from, at least when I was growing up, we had a very kind of very traditional poetry learning and reading and sort of 19th century, 20th, beginning of the 20th century poetry, which I, it's not wrong, but I just couldn't relate to it at all. And I always kind of suffered from this inferior conflicts that I've never been able to read poetry for my kind of leisure time because i just didn't understand it and when i came to finland and we were made to read your texas success which Mm. was at the time big big thing in and and still is of course and and um it was just such an impressive read for me because i like it was the first time where i understood like poetry can also be this and and experimental and kind of a manifest and, you know, its form can be so different and, and it can be sort of a piece of art in itself, not only because of the themes that, that you have there. So yeah, uh, just <laughs> a small confession, but because you mentioned your background in poetry, how do you think does it at all, uh, that kind of background, does it affect your prose writing? What kind of impact your poetry background has for your prose
1: yeah of course it's difficult to say because there is no other version of me who never wrote any poetry so you know <laughs> can't compare can't, can't really compare but but i i think the sort of uh, I, I think as a prose writer i'm really sensitive to the language i hope that my mm, basic like when you start reading one of my short story collections, you will soon notice that one story is really different from another, also from the perspective of language. So I hope I can actually maybe risk a little more. Maybe it gives a little bit of self-confidence and also um, the idea that you can actually bend the rules in the same way that I, I maybe did with poetry. And I actually I have a really similar background to to what you said about poetry in in general, that kind of the tragedy maybe of the school system, not only with poetry, but in contemporary, like cultural studies in, let's Mm. say, high school, is that you start from the 19th century, you know, then you maybe touch the industrial part of Finland, you know, and then kind of you stop. And then it's very hard to relate. I think we should, kind for, for the teenager's sake, we should switch it around, you know, start with the contemporary stuff, and then go and see what they did and then the biggest classics when you are ready for those. Yeah. Yeah. But it's really bad to start with the you know, digging some holes in yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> in the mold. You know, it's it's really I think it's kind of painful and especially I think old poetry can be super nice to read, but you, you need you need certain skill set you like and I think you have to learn it from the contemporary poetry, like that has made me understand poetry way yeah. better. Um, so i I think the like poetry has been so significant to me all the time in in my uh, whole career, but at the same time, I have been very much always. Little dubious about the yeah. poetry and about how it's lauded somehow, mm. like how how you put it on the prestige shelf yeah. of the books that you never actually read, but it's like high up there yeah. somewhere, like with the Bible, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so you're like yeah, but I don't read it, you know. Yeah. I have it at home, so um, I have tried to make my books actually quite easy to read. You know, even they are experimental, but but my basic instinct is to try to make books. So easy to read that myself I can understand them. You yeah. Know?
0: yeah, Well, th- well, this is exactly another thing that I've been thinking um, because your texts, especially short stories, do feel experimental in in form and in themes and and language. Uh, and for me personally, I've always admired um, Finnish literature scene, but uh, literary scene, but also the readers, especially who are you know, they don't shy away from experimental text and quite, you know, postmodern text. And um, do you think, as you said about uh, older poetry, uh, that you need a certain set of skills? Do you think that experimental text, uh, very contemporary, very postmodern or post-postmodern text, that they require a certain set of skills from the reader?
1: Well... Obviously, it depends on the text, but I would say that from my own books, I think you don't actually need any kind of skill set. For <laughs> example, Texas Sucks at the poetry book you mentioned, people who have told, like there have been so many hundreds of people who have told me, you know, I never got the poetry, you know, yeah. I never <laughs> understood it. But then I saw this weird yellow book of yours, and it was a normal language. Yeah. <laughs> because it's <a> normal <laughs> language, like how you people use it on the internet or how they talk. Yeah. Um so it it was just relatable i I think actually um if you really analyzed the short story collection so far of of mine I, I think the each story they they are actually quite simple yeah. uh, they many are even really stupid i think i think w- one of the m- most beloved ones of the stories um that people seem to just like all the time is this fantastic salad, yeah, which is just a huge recipe for this like kind of inferno of a salad where <laughs> you just put everything together.
0: Yeah,
1: a- And the, the idea is just so simple. Yeah. I- it's just that, you know, a dialogue about how you did this and, oh, you have also that in there and, wow, this is really nice, what is this? And, you know, then there are like one billion things. But I, I think they are really kind of simple. I don't also, personally, I don't think myself as a really sort of smart, intellectual <laughs> yeah. writer. Yeah, I, I think I'm. It's it's more in my character that I'm more playful. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Down to earth, poor writer. Yeah, down to earth,
1: <laughs> really poor writer. Going to the <laughs> National Opera next, though. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. But that's well, that's another because playfulness, playfulness uh, has a lot to do with humor as well, which is also very important in your well short stories at least, and and humor and absurdity. Um, it, do you think that it's something that it is easily to translate? Uh, is And is there a certain type of humor that um, is common to the Finnish literature or that Finnish readers particularly like and understand? I
1: don't think so. I think people start... Uh, the, the, many people uh, try to convince me that it is that way, but, but I really... You know, I've lived um, a big part of my life abroad. You know, I studied in Rome and in Melbourne, and I uh, also lived in France for a bit. And, you know, with all these international friends I've had, I have never had any feeling that they can't understand what I say or that my humor is too dark or humor is this and that. I think think actually I've learned a lot of my humor from my Italian friends, for example. (laughs) Uh, I think they just laugh better because they have better wine on the table and better <laughs> food. You know? um, so in that way, I, I really can't think... Of course, of course, I'm also a Finnish author, but I don't really want to see myself in that way necessarily. I, I think more as sort of just one of the experimental writers in this world. Uh, and I think many writers who have influenced me a lot, be it Donald Bartom or Lydia Davis or um, Thomas Bernhardt, whomever... You know they are all almost they are foreign authors, you know, like, uh-huh. and I've also read some of the work in translation, some of course in in English um I don't really read German, still, I love thomas Bernhard, and he he always makes me laugh so <laughs> uh yeah I, I don't I don't think it's so hard to translate, yeah, and I think if a book is funny. Then it should contain at least two good jokes, and you know, if you don't catch one, you will catch the other, right? <laughs> right. Yeah, right. but actually, I, I think my my stories are quite simple. Yeah. I, I try to defend myself and say I'm I'm a, <laughs> I'm a simple man.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Precisely, um, and humor again is a big part of literary stance, which is kind of our theme today. Um, I found this. A digital publisher and and quarterly journal called Electric Literature, and they have developed uh, a sort of map for the four basic kinds of literary stunts. One was gimmicks or books that, above all, have highly pitchable concepts, such as Odyssey, but in Ireland, or a romance novel written uh, entirely in the fictional Dothraki language. Two was pranks uh, or books interested in making a fool out of itself, so it can make out a fool out of you too. That is, you, a reader. Three flexes or books that are notable because the author pulled something so remarkable or at least so unusual that no one else has ever done it. In in other words, literary flex is an author saying, "Look what I can do." And four dares, that is, literary works that you don't believe are actually someone's favorite book and that don't even want to be someone's favorite, they're often needlessly confrontational or otherwise so difficult and full of obstacles. Is that exactly that prestige shelf that you mentioned, <laughs> the book that you show to everybody else and you say that this is, you know, you see, I, I've, I've read this. Would you agree that your short stories belong to one of these Uh, uh, literary stunt types.
1: Yes, I admit it. But I I think, like, not the whole books, obviously. Just some stories. I think Fantastic Salad, that's that's a sort of conceptual uh, and stupid idea, you know, as mentioned, a salad without boundaries. So in the end, you just mix everything up (laughs) together in uh, this horror show of cooking. Um, I think also pranks. Yeah, pranks and gimmicks, they come near to my um, my field. I think some stories can be those, maybe dares. Yeah, F- talking bad about <coughs> some um, very uh, prestigious Finnish politicians from the nineties and ex presidents and stuff. But yeah, I, I think I think they do. But I also think that the really what wh- what maybe then is I hope interesting to the to the readers in my work, is just that like they can be gimmicks, but then there all is also visibly some existential pain, yeah, or something like so awkward a psychological situation that you think <laughs> this wasn't actually so fun anymore.
0: Yeah, yeah, like uh, the orgy at the, at the avocado sex. Yeah, uh, short story. Yeah, yeah,
1: exactly the kind of feeling that like everyone wakes up and is like. Shit, we have an we had an orgy at the office. Yeah, <laughs> and like I, no one wanted it <laughs> except yeah. one, one fellow a little and two consultants who were just like plotting it all together. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I think, that th- what I try to is is to kind of keep it simple, even if the 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 stories vary from one another, and then also keep it so mixed that you it's. Very hard to ever point out that the atmosphere is only this, and you know the idea is only this. There must be some kind of confrontation, or maybe a war inside the story or a book, so that you 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 are a little bit more in this. What is this? Yeah, and I can't cope with this. Yeah, kind of swear. Yeah,
0: do you do it to draw attention to yourself as an author and to kind of stand out, or to just kind of shake the reader?
1: No, I, I think I'm just generally very interested in in writing, yeah. and there are so many literature forms that I kind of I can imagine, but I haven't, do- I, but I haven't even tried yet. Yeah. You know? So I think it's this curiosity. I think if I really wanted attention, wouldn't I write like each Mother's Day would be a book about <laughs> my mom? You know, each Father's <laughs> Day about my father? You and know? your
0: complicated relationship? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, with both, and you know, all the time. You know, I might change the. Uh, Change father and mother for each mother and father's day <laughs> to have a little like new new problems and new nuances. And of course a big Christmas story every every Christmas. No no I, I think it's um I think I would be really stupid if I wanted a lot of attention and then I would write poetry in Finnish.
0: <laughs> yeah. That's <laughs> yeah, a good you point. Know, yeah, it's
1: it's really sad, you know, when I go to Rome. No one kind of cares at all. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. So, so uh, the the carrier, like the reward of the carrier, must be somewhere else. Uh, And I I really just, it's a it's a really nerd admission, but I really like writing. Yeah, you know, I I just like it. I I really I really like. I even like the proofreading. Yeah, (laughs) 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 that is very nerdy. Yeah, it's it's really nerdy. But 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 there you go. Like like the attention. Um. Well, I'm. I hope. To also publish novels later, and maybe they will get uh, gain more attention. I don't know about it, but I think with the short stories, it's such a um, marginalized form of literature nowadays. Yeah, absolutely, and not only in Finland, but I, I w-
0: absolutely even like more. I would everywhere. say yeah, yeah. Ev- everywhere else I would say even yeah. more than in Finland. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. So in a way, it's uh, yeah. I, I'm not that stupid, you know. If I really wanted attention, just naked on the street. <laughs>
0: At this point, I want to come back to something that I mentioned in the introduction um a question: Do you feel that today a book has to be something more than a book, or that an author has to be something more than just a good good writer
1: no actually still i don't still, I don't believe it um maybe that's why I'm not successful enough. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's why I want to be a mayor of some really (laughs) desperate town somewhere. Uh, But no, uh, I still, I do still think that the writing and the skill of writing is so hard that it's actually, it's kind of, especially if you want to make many books or sort of literature career. I think it's, it's so, it takes so much courage to actually learn the skill to write and then do it so I, I think it's quite special still like i i can still when there is a new really good author that i haven't heard of if they are alive i'm still a little shocked that I'm, someone is like wow they can do this thing yeah yeah uh so i, I think somehow the the literature it's it it's like we, we you I, I i guess writers and also the like People in the cultural sector, we might talk a little too opportunistic about the whole thing that you sh- you should be a model and you should be super famous when you do your book. Yeah. Because actually, there are quite many writers who are famous because they are just really good at writing. Yeah. They're like they can be even really non-interesting people otherwise. Yeah. I'm uh, actually I think I'm one of them <laughs> that I'm like I'm not really highly highly successful, but I'm very um like I think my. My writing is more interesting than my life nowadays, for <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'm just changing diapers all the time at home. So yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But uh, one one thing that I would like to mention, though, is that I, I think a book should be well done in a sense that the physical object. If we talk about the physical object of the book. It's not necessary. It's not enough that people write it well, but there, there should be so also a good graphic designer, some kind of idea with the object. Because mm. I think there are just like when you go to the bookstore and you see all the objects and you see all those like really cheap paperbacks with a really nasty quality of paper. Yeah. Then I think, oh, that's a lot of just that's it's painful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's a lot of just like a pile of crap there somehow, <laughs> like I- yeah. expensive, but like somehow. You don't have the feeling that someone put in the last effort. You know, first someone writes it well, of course, then there's an editor, you know, the proofreading process, whatever, you know, all the people included. But it's funny that we talk so much about marketing and so little about actual how the book looks like. Yeah. Because there are so many books that I have, I would like to rather just have on my iPad or listen to because I don't want to bring them home because they're ugly. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah, (laughs) yeah.
0: Uh, for the ending, uh, three very literary questions. Um, who is your current literary crush?
1: Um, actually, it's uh, it's Georges uh, Simon. So the, I have been reading Miche uh, stories for for the whole year. I think it's nice that there. It's a sort of eternal thing that you know. You it, w- once you have re- read maybe seventy of those, you <laughs> think maybe I could start from the beginning again. I don't remember the murder anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Right. So yeah, yeah, so actually that. Yeah. Actually Georges Simon, yeah. Oh. I especially I have enjoyed the the whole like the series, the absurdity of the volume.
0: Yeah, he was insanely prolific author. Yes. He wrote like 500 books all together yes. during yeah. his lifetime. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, good good for him that he wasn't a poet, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: what was what was the most surprising book that you've recently read?
1: I I think it was uh uh, the new book by Jakob Ullionegas, um, yeah, as koma um how do you call it, i station coma? Yeah, yeah, that was just so bizarre. <laughs> um, uh, we, me and Jark, we are good friends, so I, I also saw the manuscript, but it yeah. was, and I commented on it, but it was like two years ago, and now when I got the the book. And I started reading it, and I was like, "Is this really published? This is so strange. <laughs> this is so strange. Why didn't I say that this is so strange that no one will print this stuff? <laughs> how but they didn't. how does yeah How <laughs> does this object exist? So yeah, I was puzzled. But yeah, Jako Ullion, because he's uh, really like yeah, he's a good friend of mine. But but just one of the writers I admire, uh, admire most. He's just so original.
0: Yeah. Which author or book never fails to make you laugh?
1: Well, there are many, obviously, but I picked a surprising one, also fitting to Jean Simnon. I really like Agatha Christie. (laughs) She also has, like, two really funny, dry jokes in each book so that I always, like, I I read them, of course, for different reasons, but then there is something that just makes me laugh, something really small psychological remark on someone or, you know, basic Hastings dialogue (laughs) that is just really fun to read. So, and I think... There is a nice kind of humor because you don't expect any kind of jokes. And then, you know, you're sort of following the plot and um, then the joke hits you. <laughs> and somehow yeah. I'm I'm really vulnerable in this. You know, I just laugh aloud, you know.
0: Thank you, Haris Salminiemi. This was Literature from Finland brought to you by Helsinki Literary Agency and hosted by me, Urte. Special thanks to Petri Latvala for the design and Alessandro Dana for the music and to all the colleagues at the agency. Don't forget to tune in next month.